Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by ProServe PR Marketing, the public relations and marketing firm with legal PR practice areas covering family law, litigation, and intellectual property. Support for Law Talk Radio comes from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Please show your support for our programming by visiting and clicking the like button on our social media pages. First, we do have the Law Talk Radio Facebook page, and second, the ProServe PR Marketing page, both on Facebook. You'll find links to all of our social media pages right from our website, located at ProServePR.com, which is P-R-O. S-E-R-V-E-P-R dot com. And for all the Law Talk Radio uh, you want, you can visit the Law Talk Radio page on our website. Uh, We have recent episodes on demand with an embedded player. And also there's a link there to our host channel, uh, our host network on Blog Talk Radio, where all of our shows are available, dating back to our first program in January of 2010. While listening, please feel free to click around the website and uh, find some blog articles you might find on uh, publicity and marketing for law firms. Go ahead and share those with other people. That's why we put them there. All right. For today's show, we have personal injury and litigation affecting families with Fred Spitzeri. And every day we leave the house and go to work, school or a grocery store or another person's house, and we're exposed to risks of harm. Now, everyone has a good laugh at those Allstate insurance company commercials with a mayhem guy. Um, It's funny, but I'll tell you, it's really true. And all it takes is a text from your mom or a phone call from work to cause an accident. So likewise, mishaps can happen at home or at work or even despite the best safety precaution measures. So Fred Spitzieri is a personal injury and litigation attorney who's going to share everything we need to know tonight on how to protect ourselves and our families. Fred Spitzeri is a graduated cum laude from Loyola School of Law and has practiced law for over 25 years. He practiced with the large law firms in Chicago and has been sole practitioner in Naperville for the past 18 years. He concentrates in civil litigation, particularly personal injury and wrongful death. We do our uh, we do welcome our show to callers this afternoon, this evening. If you would like to call, of course, our shows are neutral and objective. You can always call in at 917-889-9732. Press option 1 to be placed in our caller queue. Again, that telephone number is 917-889-9732. By way of a short disclaimer, this is a general information program. Via advice shared on our show does not constitute legal advice, and communications with attorneys on our show does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. If you have questions, you should consult with an attorney in your area. Finally, all callers remain confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Now, some of the topics we're going to cover tonight. In our first segment, we'll talk about, number one, the common types of civil litigation matters and how they're handled. Secondly, in our second segment, we'll talk about what best practices there are when there is an injury and whether you may need an attorney. And third segment, we'll discuss, do our children have the same constitutional rights when they leave the house and go to school? Uh, School law is our third segment. And then fourth, we'll talk about what happens if someone is injured or there is a death on my property or at a public location who is responsible. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome my guest, Fred Spitzeri. Uh, Thank you, Nick. Uh, Thank you for having me on the program today. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, your valuable time and look forward to hearing some more about your practice area. First, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you came to wear the hats you wear today. Well, Nick, as you said earlier, uh, I'm a graduate of Loyola University School of Law in Chicago and graduated in the top 10% of my class. Uh, upon graduation, uh, I took a job with a big uh, law firm in the Loop in the Civic Opera Building, and uh, I was there for seven years and got to try cases against uh, some of the best uh, lawyers in the city of Chicago. Uh, and I look at it uh, as a, a medical student or a doctor would look at an internship or a fellowship or a residency. It was great uh, postgraduate training. Uh, we we hit the ground running the first day. We were sworn in as new lawyers. Uh, we handled the firm's motion practice, uh, learned to take depositions, and uh, try cases. And uh, I worked on some of the biggest cases uh, in the city uh, during that period of time. Um, after uh, a number of years, uh, as the saying goes, I wasn't getting any younger. And I thought, uh, let me hang out a shingle and uh, see if I can make it uh, on my own. I think it's uh, everybody's dream someday to uh, own and operate their own business. I decided to take the plunge. 
uh, hang out a shingle. Uh, I was kind of inspired by the the old Kevin Costner movie, you know, Field of Dreams. Right. So to speak, if you build it, they will come, you know. And uh, fortunately, I had made a lot of friends along the way. Uh, I do a lot of networking. I'm very active in my community and the Rotary Club and the Chamber of Commerce and particularly the, the Bar Association. I had the great uh, honor and privilege of serving as president of the DuPage County Bar Association just a few years ago. And I've also been active in the Illinois State uh, and the Justinian Society of Lawyers. So uh, these were very useful contacts to me. I got a lot of referrals from friends and colleagues and uh, uh, hung out the shingle. And that was uh, uh, 18, 19 years ago, and I haven't looked back since. Wow, congratulations, and um, congratulations on all your success in building that. Going solo and hanging your shingle out is certainly uh, not an easy task, and a lot of people are doing that today um, who had you know, much less of a, a background um, than you had. So you know, my hat's off to anyone who, who starts that. It's certainly an uphill battle, but certainly can be a very rewarding thing to have your own practice. Well, 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 it is, and uh, my philosophy, uh, Nick, when I left the firm was, um, I didn't care if I made one penny more or one dollar more, but it really was a quality of life issue. Yeah. Uh, particularly if you have a family, uh, the demands in working in a big practice, especially in Chicago, uh, there's a lot of demands on your time, uh, on your family life. Uh, I remember working on a 12-week uh, medical malpractice trial in the city of Chicago as a young lawyer, and my, my first daughter had just been born. Uh, literally a few days before trial, I, I hardly got to see her the first month of her birth. And uh, looking back on that, you know, you, you you have to question sometimes some of the choices you make in life. But I certainly think this was a better choice for me personally. Um, and I even took about ten strokes off my golf handicap, which was very important. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, it uh, it is true the demands of uh, big firm life. We had our our friend Steve Harper from Kirkland on the other day, and um, you know, we're talking about some of the some of those similar things. And you know, although um, there are a lot of hours that it takes to put in to build a, a successful solo practice, uh, certainly it is rewarding when it's all your uh, activities. So, um, All right, so moving forward, you had wonderful background and experience in a lot of litigation cases. Um, I consider you quite knowledgeable on the subject, which is why you're on the show today. So I'd like to hear about some of the common uh, types of litigation matters that are out there, um, what's handled, uh, you know, so what's in under the civil litigation practice area. So many people think only of uh, personal injury cases, but what's the breadth of that practice area? If you will. Well, I'll tell you, Nick, it's an interesting thing uh, because uh, you're, you're right. Uh, to the average layperson, uh, all they hear about is uh, the personal injury litigation. And, of course, the most common would be uh, automobile accidents. But the number one consumer of the courthouse is actually the business community. And you, you'll find there's more litigation involving businesses, uh, particularly small businesses, then uh, there are the, the personal injury plaintiffs, which is a very ironic thing. It would come to as a surprise to, to many listeners uh, because you hear outcries from various uh, business groups and chambers of commerce that we need to, you know, we need tort reform. We need to reform the system. And uh, if, if, a, if a person was to go down to the courthouse and look at the court docket, they'd find an uh, extremely uh, small number of cases uh, involving medical malpractice, for example, extremely right. small number. Uh, and uh, beyond that, there there are, of course, the automobile accident cases, uh, the slip and falls, uh, premises liability cases. But but far and away, business disputes uh, are the number one source of uh, civil litigation. Breach of contracts, for example, are are commonplace. So I, I think it's most ironic that some of the groups that are calling for the reform. Are the are the are the group groups that are really uh, utilizing the courthouse uh, more than any other group? Mm-hmm. And not to mention the minority shareholder cases and things that uh, involve you know because I come out of family law and um, as I'm actually diving back into family law a little bit right now, <laughs> helping re- revamp a DuPage firm that will be an announcement is forthcoming, but not till all the T's are crossed. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, It's going to be a good time. Um, But, uh, you know, in family law and divorce, you often have people who, uh, spouses who have minority shares and interest in different things. In litigation, 
uh, often often comes up, and it's very true that the business sector does take up a lot of space. Um, so in insurance, uh, tell us a little bit about insurance. Insurance has always seemed to be um, behind the scenes. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because actually the first firm I worked for downtown was known as an insurance defense firm. Uh, we had about 70 lawyers in the law firm. Uh, we occupied the entire 21st floor of the Civic Opera Building, which is a rather large office building downtown. And uh, we represented hundreds of insurance companies. And uh, the principal client of the firm, at least back then, uh, was Allstate. And, in fact, uh, our uh, managing partner used to always tell us, you know, we were the good hands. If you remember the old uh, good hands commercials, Allstate yeah. televised, we basically were the good hands. So. If uh, one of their insured uh, got in a um, lawsuit, uh, could be from a motor vehicle collision, could be from a slip and fall uh, on their premises, uh, we would come in to defend uh, the insured under their insurance policy. So uh, the first thing I think a person uh, would need to know, if they are involved in an accident or if they cause an accident, they do have a duty uh, to notify their insurance company and to cooperate with their insurance company. And what that means is if the insurance company calls and uh, wants to take a recorded statement from you, uh, you, you have a duty to, to cooperate with your own insurance company. Uh, failure to cooperate, failure to give them timely notice could give them an excuse uh, to deny your coverage uh, later on if a claim is asserted against you. So is that the bad, is that the bad faith element or... No, the, where bad faith comes in is really on the part not of the insured, but on the part of the insurance company. Uh, the insurance company has a duty to both defend you and to indemnify you. Uh, those are two separate duties. The first duty would be, for example, let's say, Nick, uh, you're out driving on your way home from work and unfortunately you uh, rear-end someone. Uh, you, you have a duty to notify your insurance company they have a duty then to defend you. In other words, they will hire a lawyer and pay for the lawyer. And since they are paying the lawyer, uh, they have the right to determine who that lawyer is. So they have the they have the duty to defend you. They'll hire a lawyer to defend you. And if for some reason uh, the case goes to trial and a judgment is entered against you, that's where the second duty comes in. They have a duty to indemnify you uh, if a judgment's entered against you up into the amount of your policy limits. And here's where the bad faith issues come up. Uh, let's say uh, you have a $100,000 uh, policy with insurance company A. Uh, they have a duty, if they can, to settle that case within the $100,000 policy limits. If for some reason that case goes to judgment and the jury renders a judgment in excess of that, uh, policy limit. Let's say the jury comes back and awards the plaintiff a $150,000 judgment against you. Well, guess what? The, that insurance company, because of their failure to settle the case within the $100,000 policy limits, has now exposed your personal liability to an excess judgment. In other words, the difference between the $100,000 policy and the $150,000 judgment. So now you have $50,000 of your personal assets, which is at risk. And um, that the only reason that's at risk is because the insurance company failed to settle the case within the policy limits, assuming they had an opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, if the plaintiff's attorney, for example, had a demand of $500,000 to settle the case, well, company A couldn't settle that if they wanted to because your policy limit was only 100000 but if the demand to settle the case was 50000 and the insurance company rejected that demand, decided to roll the dice, go to trial, they could be susceptible to a bad faith claim. And that is actually brought by their own insured. That would be brought by you against your own insurance company. And the allegation would be, listen, Company A, I hired you to, I mean, I, 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 I bought your insurance and I paid your premiums. And you had a duty to defend me, which you did. You had a duty to indemnify me, which which you didn't do, and you had a duty to settle within the policy limits, which you didn't do. That's bad faith. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that just the explanation of that alone is good reason enough for anybody out there who 
does have an event where they think they may need a lawyer or they're talking with insurance companies, to hire a lawyer and go talk to somebody first because, um, you know, you can look up and understand what the laws are and how it works, but you really need someone who is experienced in uh, not what the law is, but what is likely to happen and someone who knows how the industry really works. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, I remember when I was doing some of that work as a law clerk, I remember someone teaching me that computers at the time uh, were spitting out the numbers and the attorneys for the insurance company had to go by what the computer said. Um, you know, so that's not something you'd know, <laughs> you know, right. unless you worked in it. So um, we're going to yeah. pause for our first break and then come back and talk a little bit more specifically about injury cases uh, and personal injuries and some things that you should do if you are unfortunately in an event where you may need a lawyer. All right. Our first message comes from the National Association of Legal Investigators. This is a uh, uh, grab a pen and mark down these dates uh, time. It's June 7th through June 9th. And what it is. It is the National Association of Legal Investigators holding its national conference to celebrate its 45th anniversary. It's going to take place here in Chicago at the Hotel Avenue Crown Plaza. And presenters at this event, including myself, are Cynthia Hetherington, again, Nick Augustine, uh, Andrea Lyon, Todd Throne, Jed Stone, and representatives from Dynamic Safety and Reed and Associates. Anyone who works in or around investigation would know uh, many of those names. Now, attorneys are encouraged to attend this event, and as always, the presenters for this NALI conference are the best of the best in their field, and you'll learn new information that you can take home and put to use immediately. The presentations are balanced with civil, criminal, and general litigation issues to best educate all attending NALI members and the attorneys who are learning more about working with NALI certified investigators. Now, this uh, uh, was this CLE, it was approved for uh, 10.5 MCLE credits by the Supreme Court of Illinois very recently. Uh, so anyone with the June 30th deadline might want to jump on. Again, it's 10 and a half general credits um, for a very reasonable uh, fee there. Again, NALI does encourage public defender colleagues, paralegals, and attorneys all to attend this event. And if you'd like more information, you can contact me directly or direct your inquiries to the office for NALI. The national office is located uh, by telephone at area code 517-372-1500. Again, that telephone number is 517-372-1500. And again, I have more information and registration forms. You can contact me directly, Nick Augustine, at 312-505. 2604, and I can share those with you as well. So again, it's June 7th through June 9th, National Association of Legal Investigators, 45th Anniversary Annual Summer Conference. All right, back to our program with Fred Spitzieri. I want to talk now about uh, best practices when there's an injury and uh, you need an attorney. Now, I'm going to first say that, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, um, a little bumper clinker, I'm not that hurt, uh, you know, it's just not going to be that bad, I, I feel fine, that's usually day one, well, you know, just wait. So Fred, tell us what you should do uh, just to be safe, you know, not know, not expecting that everybody out there is looking to cash in on every uh, event that happens in life, you know, it's not necessarily a cash-in experience as much as a protect yourself uh, from injury and further harm. So Fred, tell us what we should do if we have an injury. Sure, I'm happy to. Um, Abraham Lincoln uh, purportedly once said that uh, a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. So you can imagine what he would say uh, for a layperson to attempt to uh, represent themselves when a a legal issue arises. So the first thing that I would say is that you need to consult with an attorney. Uh, You have to remember, uh, if you are uh, injured in an accident, uh, the insurance company is uh, is not your friend. And when I say the insurance company, I'm talking about the uh, other party's uh, insurance company. Uh, they know the ropes. They they know what they're doing. Uh, they're there to settle the claim as, as quickly and cheaply as possible. Um, I had a gentleman come and consult with me a couple of months ago. Um, it was on a worker comp case, and he actually had a very serious injury and a very sizable a worker comp claim. And um, your listeners should should know that most uh, personal injury attorneys will will handle the case on a contingency fee basis, meaning there's there's no fee up front. Uh, the attorney typically would uh, recover as his fee one third of whatever is recovered by way of settlement or judgment in the case. So so the office consultation is free. 
there, there's no reason not to consult with an attorney. It's no cost to the client. Um, and this gentleman I, I met with on this worker comp claim uh, really was reluctant to retain me, uh, telling me, well, you know, the insurance trust has been so nice and she returns all my phone calls. Of course and, she does. You know, she pays all my medical bills. And, and, and that's their <laughs> duty. They, did, they weren't doing any favors for him. Yeah, they're and, doing their uh, job. They're doing their job. And uh, I, I assured the gentleman that uh, even after uh, paying my fee, which in a worker comp case by statute is is limited to no more than 20% of what can be recovered, um, I assured him that even after deducting my 20%, we, we, we would get him more for his claim than he would if he represented himself. And, and unfortunately, he made the mistake of, of representing himself, apparently, because I, I never heard from him again. Uh, so like Abraham Lincoln would say, anyone who represents himself really has a fool for a client. You know, uh, you, 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 you really uh, are, are in uncharted waters. And uh, what I would recommend in retaining an attorney, I've developed kind of a, a bias over the years here. Um, I would not, <laughs> I would not retain someone from the yellow pages or uh, that type of uh, venue. Uh, I often find there's an inverse correlation between the size of a, per, a lawyer's ad uh, and and their ability as a lawyer. Uh, I, I've been in practice 25 years. I, I've never done any advertising. I've always been busy. My best rep, my best advertising is my reputation in the legal community. Uh, what I would recommend. Uh, if you need to find an attorney, uh, ask a family member or a friend uh, for a personal referral. Chances are they've used an attorney for a real estate closing or a traffic ticket or a divorce, and uh, they would be able to make a personal referral to you for someone that concentrates in this area. Uh, alternatively, what you could do is call your local bar association. If you live in DuPage County, for example, uh, we have a very good organized lawyer referral service. Uh, you can call the DuPage County Bar Association in Wheaton, uh, and they will connect you with a lawyer who concentrates in your area and also geographically is officed in your area for your own convenience. And you're entitled to up to a half-hour free consultation with any lawyer that you uh, meet with who's part of the lawyer referral service. And there's one in Chicago, uh, and, and most large communities or most counties would have a bar association lawyer referral service. Uh, those are probably some good suggestions in where to find a lawyer should you need one. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, when you find a lawyer, and I agree that word of mouth and referral is certainly the best way to go, um, what are some of the things that the lawyer is going to look at? And if you're, uh, you know, thinking about, um, you know, taking one of these cases. Um, and you're a lawyer out there, so you know we have lawyers and uh, potential clients and, and whatnot listening. Um, let's talk a little bit about evaluating personal injury cases, because again, some people don't sure. think that they're that injured. Right, right. Well, uh, sometimes uh, you don't really realize uh, the effects of the injury immediately because you have so much uh, adrenaline flowing. Uh, it's not uncommon uh, that I meet with people sometimes uh, a week or two after the accident. Uh, after that initial rush of adrenaline has subsided, and now they realize, you know, their neck hurts or their back hurts or their shoulder hurts, and uh, they didn't realize it at first because those symptoms were masked by the rush of adrenaline that they were feeling. Or alternatively, they thought it was just something uh, that would go away in a few days, uh, but, it, but it hasn't gone away, and in fact, it's gotten worse. They can't sleep at night. They get headaches. They feel muscle spasm, stiffness, so on and so forth. Uh, when you meet with the lawyer, uh, there are three things, three broad areas we're going to look at. First thing is the liability. In other words, is there is there liability on the part of someone else for causing the injury? An easy example would be uh, a rear-end automobile collision. Um, although not 100% of the time, but most of the time, uh, the person who rear-ends another person in an automobile is going to be liable. So we look at liability. Uh, if the liability is favorable, certainly we want to consider undertaking filing a claim. Uh, second thing we look at are the damages or the injuries. And there are various elements of damages that a person is entitled to recover for 
under the law. And um, when a person's injured, you know, most people will tell me, boy, you know, all the money in the world isn't going to make me feel better. And and that's true. Uh, it's, it's not a magic bullet. Uh, but under our system of jurisprudence, it's the only way we have to compensate people who are injured. Uh, so the elements of damages include uh, any pain and suffering that they might be experiencing, and that's pain and suffering that has occurred from the date of the accident to the present and also from the present uh, going forward. Uh, it includes any uh, lost wages that they might have incurred, uh, assuming the person has a job and is working. If, if they've missed time from work uh, due to the injury, uh, they're entitled to be compensated for that. They're entitled to be compensated for any disability. And disability generally uh, relates to not being able to enjoy your normal day-to-day -day activities. Uh, maybe you have a hobby, like you like to play golf, or you like to play tennis, uh, or you like to knit and crochet, whatever that might be. And because of the injury sustained in the accident, you're no longer too able to enjoy those activities. That would fall within the broad category of disability to which you'd be entitled to monetary compensation. Uh, you'd also be entitled to compensation if there was any disfigurement. Uh, a common example would be if you had a laceration uh, that required stitches and there was some scarring, uh, but it doesn't even have to be that dramatic. Uh, I had a case of a elderly woman who was walking out of a jewel food store with a bag of groceries and somebody was not watching where they were driving in the parking lot of the Jewel Food Store, uh, and they struck her, and she got knocked down and hit her head on the ground, and she had what we would call the raccoon effect. She she suffered a broken nose with black and blue swelling uh, under her both eyes. She looked like she had two black eyes. Uh, so that's where we get the idea of she looked like a raccoon. Uh, that was a temporary condition but it did persist for a number of weeks. She was entitled to a disfigurement, at least on a temporary basis. It doesn't have to be permanent uh, until those uh, blemishes, discolorations, black and blue marks, so on and so forth, uh, you know, go away. So those are some of the elements of damages. So we look at liability, favorable or unfavorable. We look at damages because sometimes it's not cost-effective to file a suit if the damages are too small because there are court costs. And if you wanted to file a uh, lawsuit uh, in uh, most circuit courts and ask for a jury demand, which you should, uh, you're talking probably somewhere four or $500 just to get the case on file. Then there are fees for depositions, court reporters, subpoenas, obtaining records, so on and so forth. Uh, and then finally, the third element we would look at would be insurance coverage. Again, if there's no insurance, Sometimes it's not worth pursuing the case because if you file a lawsuit against someone individually, it's unlikely most people have the personal assets to satisfy any judgment you might get against them. And even if they did, they could always file a personal bankruptcy. And so all your you know, efforts in that regard would be for, for naught. Mm -hmm. so we look at liability, we look at damages, we look at insurance coverage. Another uh, kind of important thing I want to ask, um, if someone... If someone is in an accident and they say, okay, I know that I probably should see the lawyer, but it's probably going to take me um, a day or so before I can go see the lawyer, they're likely going to get a call the same day from an insurance company. What are the marching orders for people uh, talking to insurance companies? You know, well, theirs or someone like, else's? Just like, what to do? Just, just like the TV shows we see, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Our recommendation is you do not talk to the other driver's insurance company uh, until you have seen a lawyer. Uh, because you you never know what you're going to say as a layperson that can come back to haunt you later. Uh, so uh, never, never, never uh, talk to the other driver's insurance company. Uh, as I said earlier, you have a duty to cooperate with your own insurance company, but you do not have a duty to cooperate. And in fact, you should not cooperate with the other driver's insurance company. As I said earlier, they, they are not your friend. They're not mm -hmm. there to help you. Here's another uh, quick question before we take a, a second break. What about treating with other physicians and chiropractors and different people? You know, if you have a, a you know, believe you're going to have a reasonable claim, but you are afraid of out-of-pocket costs. Well, most 
most policies nowadays have what they call med pay or medical payments, and those limits are usually five thousand dollars. Those are those are your own uh, policy limits uh, and policy provisions designed to protect you and other occupants of your car. So um, if you don't happen to have health insurance, like Blue Cross, uh, which is very expensive these days, a lot of people are going uninsured, uh, you should have a med pay provision in your policy. Like I said, the typical limits are $5,000. And, and have, your, have your own auto policy pay those doctor bills up front. They will be paid regardless of who was fault at the accident. And uh, they will go after the other driver's insurance company to collect them, assuming the other driver was at fault. Mm-hmm. Very important to uh, consider all these things. And again, these are things that if you have questions, call a lawyer and ask. Don't be shy. It's okay not to know the answers. Um, you know, and when you're in involved in a situation where there's an accident, um, you know, there could be any level of damage or severity. There's a lot of things going on. It's a very upsetting moment, but um, it's important not to lose your cool and to, you know, think about things in a, a rational manner. And again, call and ask someone for advice. And, you know, and I, again, I'll, 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 um, well, uh, you know, give some more weight to Fred's statement before. If call someone who you know through a referral. You know, you're going to get much better care. Um, attorneys who get clients through referrals are going to treat those clients right because if you do a bad job, they're going to go back and tell someone, "Hey, you gave me a referral to someone and they didn't do a great job. I didn't like them." Blah blah blah, etc. If you're dealing with people who are primarily getting all of their uh, clients out of phone books and ads like that, you know, a lot of those are, are big, uh, you know, big big firms that um, or not necessarily big firms, the people with big ad budgets who then uh, farm all the cases out and refer them out to attorneys not in their office. You know, it's kind of like a, a personal injury mill, if you've heard that before. And it's just really not, um, there's less incentive to do a good job as a lawyer. So uh, important, again, to talk to someone you know, get a referral, or again, call the DuPage County Bar Association if you're in DuPage County or a uh, bar association in your neighborhood. So we're going to pause for our second break here and then come back in our third segment. We'll talk a little bit about constitutional rights that children children may have or not have when they leave the house and go to school. We'll talk about searches and seizures, liability for what kids bring to school, and detention and custodial issues. Again, something very interesting. Um, I always get calls for people looking for a school lawyer. So, Fred, I'm glad that I can give them <laughs> your number um, because okay. it, comes, it comes up quite often. So, All right. So for our, uh, we want to tell you at our uh, second break here that Clerk Dorothy Brown in Cook County could use uh, people's help. They need volunteers volunteers for the upcoming expungement summit. Uh, attorneys who volunteer and participate will earn 2.5 uh, MCLE credits for participating in this year's 2012 expungement summit and its training held by the Clerk of the Circuit Court of Cook County. Training sessions take place May 23rd and May 24th from 3 to 5.30 at 69 West Washington on the 17th floor. Again, the training for attorneys is May 23rd and 24th. 3 to 5.30 at 69 West Washington on the 17th floor. Now, after this training, uh, attorneys will, will during the training, attorneys will learn how to prepare an expungement so they can assist and advise members of the general public at the expungement summit. Um, again, this is expungement and sealing applications for juvenile and adult misdemeanor and felony. Again, the scope is juvenile and adult misdemeanor and felony incidents that occurred within Cook County. Now, this year's expungement summit takes place on Saturday, June 2nd at the Apostolic Church of God located at 6320 South Dorchester Avenue in the city of Chicago from 8.30 a.m. to 6 o'clock p.m. Again, that's Saturday, June 2nd at the Apostolic Church of God, 6320 South Dorchester. Uh, members of the general public will learn everything they need to do and um, talk with attorneys who are going to help them prepare their expungement petitions. Um, the members of the public will then have to go to the clerk of the circuit court and file those uh, petitions and um, handle the matter on themselves. These are just attorneys who are going to help people prepare those applications. So um, if you're an attorney and would like to learn more about the system, again, I think this is a great way to meet people in, uh, if you practice in Cook County, it's a great way to meet people uh, within the administration um, and generally learn about expungements because this is, again, something that I hear come up all the time 
And uh, everyone seems to know how to go to traffic court and help you get supervision or get out of your tickets. But when it comes to expunging things, I find fewer and fewer people who actually do that. Um, so it's really good. It's good information to learn. You can find more information by dialing uh, directly to the clerk of the circuit court of Cook County at 312-603-5200. Again, or uh, 312-603. 6030467 or the first number is 6035200 also find the flyer for the expungement summit on the clerk of the circuit court's website located at www.cookcountyclerkofcourt.org again that's cookcountyclerkofcourt.org all right so dorothy brown needs your help i hope you go everybody goes out and uh, goes to the expungement summit i'm going to be there on june 2nd um good opportunity to meet people and learn some good stuff and again get some mcle credits all right so back to our third segment with Fred Spitzeri. We're talking about uh, litigation, personal injury, and things that affect our families. And one thing um, that most people worry about with kids who are school age is what goes on at school. What happens if your friend is hanging out with a bad crowd and someone has contraband or something they're not supposed to have? Uh, you know, what if the, the dogs come down the hall and are sniffing at lockers? Um, a lot of people don't really know what they're up against, and I've heard so many people say, I want to sue the school, but I, can't, I don't know what I'm up against uh, or if my kids' rights were violated or what. So, Fred, tell us about what happens at schools. Sure, sure. Ha- happy to. In fact, uh, before I was an attorney, actually, I worked for a school district, and my first love was uh, and probably always will be uh, education. And uh, we used to tell the parents at parent-teacher conferences, uh, we used to tell the parents, you know, if you don't believe half the stuff Johnny says goes on at school, uh, we won't believe half the stuff Johnny says goes on at home, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, with respect to the constitutional rights of children and students in the public schools, um, I should mention that the Constitution uh, generally applies equally to everyone, regardless of their age, color, race, religion, uh, or any other factor. However, minors uh, are a special category of persons, and in many cases, the rights of minors can be suppressed in ways the rights of adults simply may not be. And the most re- obvious reason for that, Nick, is their age, or uh, another way of saying it is their their lack of maturity. You know, a four-year-old or even a ten-year-old, for example, uh, can't be expected to make the same kind of decisions uh, that an adult could make. Um, And there's a doctrine that the law recognizes uh, that basically is, uh, use the Latin phrase, in loco parentis. And what that means is that uh, while a student is in the custody of a school, the school can and often should act as the student's parent. Uh, since the parent's not present, since the student's uh, young and and doesn't have the maturity uh, that an adult has, doesn't necessarily make the right decisions uh, that an adult would, uh, the the school and the teachers act in the place of the parent, or as the Latin phrase is put, in loco uh, parentis. Um, now, I should mention a few things here. Uh, this uh, only applies in, in, in public schools. Uh, private private schools, uh, private institutions, uh, the, the Constitution doesn't doesn't necessarily have any uh, uh, protections there uh, for for students. Uh, private private schools can can get away with a lot more, uh, let's say, uh, than, than public schools can in that regard. Um, probably the most famous case involving a, a public school student uh, and with an alleged violation of their First Amendment right to free speech took place in the 1960s, and uh, I know, Nick, you're probably a little too young to remember the 1960s, but I am a product of the 60s, uh, which was a very rebellious uh, period of time. There was a lot of questioning going on. Uh, There were a lot of traumatic incidents that took place in our nation's history at that time. You had the assassination of President Kennedy, uh, followed by the assassination a few years later of Martin Luther King, uh, followed by the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Uh, and of course, you had the the Vietnam War, and um, at that time, uh, the war was uh, going on and on and on. Uh, a lot of public opinion uh, was against the war, particularly from the students. Uh, at that time, we had a mandatory draft, so any any male uh, age 18 had to register for the draft and was subject to being drafted. Uh, unlike today, where we pretty much have a volunteer army. Um, and uh, to protest the Vietnam War, a group of students in Iowa 
wore black armbands to school. And uh, the school, being very authoritarian, uh, more conservative, uh, outlawed that practice, told the students they couldn't wear the armbands to school. If they wore the armbands to school, they're going to be you know, barred from coming to school. Uh, the school was the, the case was called Tinker uh, versus uh, the Des Moines uh, School District, and uh, the court uttered a very famous phrase at that time, and basically said a, a student's constitutional rights do not stop at the court at the schoolhouse door. In other words, they did have a right to uh, freedom of expression. They did have a right to their First Amendment uh, freedom of speech, and uh, the the court uh, held that this, the students should be allowed uh, to wear their black armbands to school. Uh, that that was a form of speech, although it was symbolic. It, it was a form of speech, and the school couldn't pro- prohibit the students uh, from expressing that that right. Um, there uh, there also been a, a number of other cases involving uh, you know freedom of the press um, and uh, students' rights to, to publish. Uh, you know, articles in their student papers and uh, uh, newspapers that are that are circulated, you know, by the schools itself. Um, now, in those cases, the um, the courts have been a little bit more conservative and and have uh, upheld some restrictions. They they just can't put anything they want in in the paper. Uh, again, exercising that doctrine of in loco parentis, uh, they kind of use that kind of standard. Uh, so uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting issue, an interesting area of law that not too many uh, attorneys practice in, um, and the courts are always looking to perform a balancing test between mm-hmm. the students' rights on the one hand and the school district's rights on the other, uh, standing in the place of the parent uh, to maintain uh, a safe. Uh, educational, you know, environment and and learning environment for the other students. Right, right. And, you know, if the problem, I think, is um, too often parents are going to say, well, I'm not going to try to sue the school district because they're going to come at me with a team of people and they're going to bury me and whatnot. But, you know, unless unless the trial court's able to make decisions that get taken up on appeal for the, you know, appellate court or even up to our Illinois Supreme Court, we're not going to have law on these things, uh, you know, until these cases get taken up. So, um, you know, we have to look at other states and, you know, it's it's a very interesting um, you know, interesting concept, and people are so afraid to take on the school boards. Um, but you know, I suggest that um, if they're not held accountable, you know, you can have bad eggs just because it's a public, uh, you know, state-funded and state-run institution. Uh, and, just, and you could have—I mean, look at how many people are on uh, boards of education that are not educators. Right. Right. You now, it's it's an issue. Um, let's talk about searches and seizures. Uh, how yeah. far do yeah? How far do their uh, constitutional rights apply there? Well, there there have there have been a lot of cases involving uh, search and, and seizure issues, and uh, particularly in light of uh, Columbine, of course, where we where we had the school uh, shooting there, the the tragic uh, school shootings, and um, most school districts following the Columbine case. Uh, have adopted zero tolerance policies. So if you bring a fake looking uh, look alike gun to uh, a school, you could be suspended or expelled. Uh, if you're in possession of a, a scissors or a knife or, or any kind of weapon or drug, you could be suspended or expelled under zero tolerance uh, policies. Uh, there's a particularly relevant and, and famous case called New Jersey versus uh, TLO that came out in the, in the 1980s, and that also reaffirmed the doctrine of in loco parentis. Uh, but it also recognized that you know school officials are representatives of the state too. And again, this is where I draw the distinction between what a public school can do versus a private institution. Uh, the public school officials being representatives of the state, and sometimes those two roles can come into uh, conflict. Uh, but in the TLO case, what it was it was a search of a student's purse, uh, the purpose of which was to find cigarettes. Uh, the student was suspected of uh, smoking at school grounds. The school officials uh, did search the student's purse uh, without their permission. Uh, the student did challenge it, 
And uh, on that particular case, the school won. Uh, the court upheld the uh, search of the student's purse uh, on, on, on uh, the grounds that, uh, you know, obviously smoking was, was against the rules and uh, not only could be harmful to the student, but uh, to other students as well. Um, urine tests of student athletes have also been upheld. Uh, that's a little more recent case uh, called the Baronia School versus Acton. Uh, these are all United States Supreme Court cases where, again, the court used the doctrine of a local uh, parentis uh, and said that basically uh, student athletes have a reduced expectation of privacy. Uh, and, and there was a strong need to deter uh, drug use, particularly among athletes, so, so athletes could be forced to give uh, urine tests and urine specimens. So uh, the court basically said that Fourth Amendment rights, which, which are, that's the amendment that uh, protects against unreasonable searches and seizures, uh, Fourth Amendment rights uh, are different in public school than, than elsewhere. And uh, the, the issue would be whether or not the search was reasonable or not. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And so, again, I'd suggest to people if they feel there uh, is a problem at school, um, and, you know, in addition to search and seizures, there's all sorts of other things that um, seem to come up. Sports, oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, I'm working right now with a, a law firm in California on the, the NFL concussion cases, and oh, that's sure. a really scary thing in school when, you know, when Johnny's, uh, you know, the star quarterback and Johnny's hurt and, um, you know, Johnny better get out there and play. And But Johnny has a, you know, just got knocked around and there's suspect, you know, suspect, a suspect of a concussion. Um, it's, you know, there's there's liability there. And those coaches, you know, have, you know should know better. And again, it's, uh, you know, is, is it re- what's reasonable and what's not? And uh, it's, it's certainly good to, you know, call an attorney, ask some questions. Don't just assume that, well, the school knows best and I trust them. Um, you know, there are bad actors, uh, you know, all over the place. And uh, just because there's an institution or it's the state or whatever, um, you know, don't assume that everyone is, uh, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right, Fred? That, that's right. You know, um, lawyers are there to protect your legal rights. Um, there, there's been uh, uh, some criticism of lawyers and it's, it's become kind of uh, common these days to to hear lawyer jokes and things of that, but I guess I'm old school, and I know it was a group of lawyers that uh, drafted our U.S. Constitution. It was a group of lawyers that drafted our Bill of Rights. It was a very famous lawyer who drafted the Emancipation Proclamation by the name of Abe Lincoln. So I I think the practice of law is an honorable and and noble profession, and uh, people should not hesitate to contact a lawyer when they have a legal issue. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's uh you know, when we talk about things like litigation, um especially on the on the on the larger end like class action suits, it's really the the people who hire lawyers and bring these cases that help affect change, uh help create better public policy and really make the world a better and safer place. Um, for all of us out there, I mean, you know, if it wasn't for lo- some, uh, you know, some lawsuit somewhere, we might all be throwing jarts in the backyard still. Remember jarts? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's like That's a, right. a spike with a uh, like a Nerf football, but with like a spike on the end of it. I was born in the in the late in the seventies, and in the late seventies, I remember jarts, and it's a scary oh, thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a set of them, and uh, you're, you're right. The lawyers in product liability cases have gone a long way to, to make uh, everybody safer, uh, particularly in, in the way of automobile designs. Uh, where, where do you think uh, the need for seatbelts came about and uh, airbags and uh, a lot of safety features that, that wouldn't exist, but for the fact that uh, some lawyers stood up and decided to challenge your GM or Ford Motor Company or whoever it was to come up with a better product that was safer uh, for its intended use. Right, right. You know, and as today I saw in the news something about these automated Google cars or whatever that's all about, you can be assured that there are, you know, teams of people uh, looking over that and lawyers out there to help make sure that things go well and, and protect us all because business, the world of business and the corporate world does not have our best intentions in mind. It's its interests are duty to the shareholders in producing profits for them. So, um, again, you know, good. To, yeah, we, we get a bad rap, Fred, but um, I think people. Are, we do. 
<laughs> we're going to pause for our last break, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about uh, premise liability and what happens if someone is injured or dies on your property or at a public location. Um, so we'll talk about you know things and uh, you know concerns of at home, uh, possibly at the mall or at a friend's house. Um, sometimes our safest places closest to home is where things happen. But first, I want to give you our last message. It's our own message from ProServe PR Marketing. I want to tell you that we have a great luncheon, uh, a lunch and learn uh, program where we come in and do roundtable discussions, um, and we get requests from solo practitioners on up through large law firm managers and also spinoffs of uh, larger law firms who start their own practice. Um, we receive invitations to come in and talk about, um, and again, this is for transactional and litigation-based uh, attorneys who want to know more about how to use digital media, public relations, and marketing opportunities to leverage their achievements and contributions and further their career and, and also engage new clients and referrals. Um, I'll suggest that in this day and age, we have a 24-hour news cycle. Uh, those who know you, and if you're on Facebook or LinkedIn and have a you know an active marketing campaign, uh, someone's going to want to know if you practice in a certain area and some case comes along or something's in the news. They want to know why you're talking about it or not talking about it, um, or if you have that interesting case. Um, you know, every national story starts local, um, and it's something that usually comes from the heart. And there are too many times that uh, lawyers will say no to media and um, just in a default because you're worried about certain things with um, with evidentiary problems or, you know, I mean, any, anything can go wrong. And so people usually say no to media, but sometimes that can be uh, some of the worst uh, things. We had a, a talk with our friend Chris Levinson from the Vitito Law Group um, on that NFL concussion case the other day. And uh, we're talking about how the outreach efforts through media uh, have helped find more people with other problems and actually help in litigation and help sorting things out um, to provide a better result for everyone in society. So again, working with media is a good thing, and uh, I work with a lot of different people on what to do, how to create a policy for your firm uh, when it's time to work with someone in uh, you know in, in those areas. So you can always give us a call to learn more information about this, 312-505-2604. The number again is 312-505-2604, or again, our website is proservepr.com. P-R-O-S-E-R-V-E-P-R.com. Now, you, as you are on our site, you can also uh, go there to sign up for our email list. Uh, there's a newsletter link there with a subscription link. Sign up and drop your email there. Then you receive our monthly uh, emails that contain some articles on uh, do-it-yourself marketing and publicity, and also we send uh, an end-of-the-month email with all of our uh, Law Talk Radio programs for the month. Again, for example, April was Family Law Month, and May, this is Litigation Month. Uh, image and branding and marketing is June, so uh, we're going with a theme-based approach now, so uh, go ahead and uh, click on the uh, sign-up for the newsletter, and you will receive those uh, emails. I want to also remind our listeners quickly to share broadcast links in your social networks. Many people find our show uh, on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. Um, we've had, uh, through the viral result of viral and social media marketing, have had uh, interesting guests and uh, listeners from uh, all over the globe, um, not just here in Chicagoland. So it's been a very uh, fun experience for everyone. So do share uh, the good content that you think other people might find interesting. So now back to our show with Fred Spitzeri. We want to talk about, in our fourth segment, um, premise liability, what happens if someone is injured or dies on your property or at public, who's responsible? Okay. Well, Nick, uh, in, in the area of premises liability, the, the state legislature uh, passed a statute a number of years ago uh, called the Premises Liability Act. And basically what that law states is that a premises owner has a duty to exercise reasonable care under the circumstances for anyone who might come upon their premises. Uh, for example, if you have, um, let's say, some worn and torn carpeting in your house, let's use that as an example, and you have visitors over for a party or uh, for whatever reason, um, if, if that carpeting is torn and worn in such a way that you could reasonably expect someone could trip and fall on that, uh, when your guests arrive, you have a duty to point that out to them. Uh, if that person uh, comes onto your premises at your invitation and then trips and falls on that torn and worn carpeting that you fully were aware of but failed to disclose, uh, you could potentially be liable. 
for any injury that they sustain as a result of a slip and fall there. Now, conversely, uh, let's say a person came on your premises and and just happened to, to slip and fall uh, through no fault of your own and uh, through no obvious condition of a defect in your carpeting or your stairs or what have you, um, you're not necessarily liable in under the Premises Liability Act, uh, nor would you be under uh, what we would call a common law negligence action. However, uh, your homeowner's policy would provide protection to you. Um, you should immediately contact your insurance company uh, as soon as practicable to notify them of the injury on your premises. And, and uh, at a minimum, your homeowner's policy would uh, pay any medical bills uh, that, that anyone, uh, any guest of yours would incur as a result of an accident on your premises, even if it wasn't your fault. Uh, they wouldn't necessarily pay the person's pain and suffering or disability or disfigurement or the other elements of damages we talked to uh, unless there was liability. But they would cover uh, the medical bills, again, under uh, a provision similar to your auto policy, uh, a med pay policy. Um, now, uh, some interesting things about the Premises Liability Act and premises liability law. Let's say a adult trespasser comes upon uh, your property. Uh, you, act, you absolutely have no duty uh, to an adult trespasser. What we're talking about, when we're talking about liability under the Premises Liability Act, we're generally talking about people who are coming on the property uh, either at your invitation or are otherwise legally on the premises. Uh, it might be a mailman or a FedEx you know, UPS delivery man delivering a package, you know, or Girl Scouts coming to the door uh, to sell cookies. Uh, you'd have a duty to warn them uh, of, of any defects that you're aware of uh, or, um, you know, any latent hazards that they might not uh, detect on their own. In other words, something that's not open and obvious. Uh, if there is an open and obvious condition, let's say a, a broken step or a step that's missing, a stair that's missing, and it's open and obvious, uh, you know, that's something that uh, you don't have to warn someone about because a reasonable person would, would discover that, you know, on their own. So uh, those are some of the more common types of things. Typically, it's slip and falls. Um, in Chicago, uh, where we have inclement weather in the winter, uh, there's an awful lot of uh, slip and falls on snow and ice. Uh, sometimes people are afraid to, to shovel their sidewalks uh, because they're afraid that if they don't do a good job, that uh, they could incur some kind of liability if someone then slips and falls on the sidewalk. Uh, in this particular instance, uh, listeners should not be alarmed or concerned because actually the state legislature uh, passed a, a snow shoveling statute, if you believe it or not, Nick. Mm. And basically what the snow shoveling statute does is provides immunity to a person because they want to encourage that landowner to shovel their sidewalks. Uh-huh. And what they say basically is if you go out there and shovel your your sidewalk, we're going to bar anybody from, from suing you because they slipped and fell on the snow and ice you shoveled. Uh, as a matter of public policy, they deemed it necessary in Chicago where we have, you know, usually we have very inclement weather. This last winter we were blessed uh, with a very mild winter. But uh, as a matter of public policy, the state legislature wants uh, landowners to, to shovel that snow, salt that ice, let people walk on a, on a free and clear sidewalk. And, and so they've provided that kind of immunity, which is a defense to any kind of litigation that could occur uh, if a person, uh, you know, shovels their sidewalk, for example, and then someone, you know, sues them later because they slipped and fell on it. Mm-hmm. Wow. I did not know that. That is very interesting. And I, I suppose yeah. that they expect people to know how, you know, if you live around here, you know how to walk around on uh, snow and ice. You know, you, you well, should. That's, that's the thing. And actually, uh, under Illinois law, a, a natural accumulation of snow and ice uh, is kind of like an act of God. Uh, most people have heard that term before. Mostly people are familiar with what that is. And under Illinois law, uh, there's no liability on the part of a landowner for a natural accumulation of snow and ice. In other words, freshly snowed, fallen snow, which has fallen where God placed it. A uh, person slips and falls on that, they, they ought to be more careful. You know, they ought to watch uh, where they're walking. There you uh, go. An example, an example of an unnatural accumulation of snow and ice, 
for which a landowner could be liable, you know, on the other hand, would be let's say you have a leaky gutter above the entrance to your front door, and you know that that gutter leaks, and snow forms in the gutter, the temperature drops before zero, it turns to ice, the next day sun comes out, temperature's above freezing, that melts, now it's dripping, 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 and now you have water on your steps, and again, overnight, it freezes, that ice is not an act of God. That ice is not a natural accumulation. That ice came about as a result because you have a leaky gutter, and if you're familiar with it or you know or should know that that gutter was leaking, you could be responsible for not fixing it. Mm-hmm. And a, a note to always make sure that your homeowners is paid up. If it's not Absolutely. through, yeah, you don't, you really don't want to, uh, you know, have those issues. And then just real quickly, if you're if you're injured uh, or somewhere at, um, you know, at in a public place or at a friend's house, what's what's your advice? Well, uh, you know. Again, sometimes you got to use common sense, and if it's a relatively minor injury and you don't want to impair your relationship with your friend or your family member, you know you have to kind of use your own judgment. If you have your own health insurance, you know, you know, you probably want them to take care of it. Um, but you could ask your family or friend in a nice way, too, if it wasn't your fault and you got hurt because of some condition on their premises. You know, you could ask them to pay the bill, too. And I think most people, you know, would be willing to do that. That would be the reasonable thing to do if it was their fault to either pay for it out of their own pocket, if it was a small amount, or if it was a larger amount in excess of their deductible, then they ought to tender it to their homeowner's carrier and let them take care of it. Right, right. So again, a word to people inviting guests over to their house: point out those things that uh, that rickety stair, or or by or how about this one? That railing from upstairs to downstairs, or going to the basement. Those railings <laughs> always fall. I mean, how many times growing up as a kid, that thing used to always break? So you know, fix that thing or put a sign: broken railing. Right. Please be careful. Always are the wise. Get it fixed. Get it, get, it, get it fixed. I know my father was always so afraid when we had friends sleep over as a kid. Like, who's coming over? Oh, what are they sure. going to do with you? Oh, they're going to sue us. Everyone's so paranoid. you got to be careful, <laughs> especially when kids are around uh, because, uh, again, because of their youth and immaturity, they're not going to use the, the right judgment sometimes. And you, you could be responsible because kids will be kids. Right, right. And we're running a little over time, but just real quick, this just uh, thought in my head. The vehicle, using the family car, dad likes 16-year-old kid, go to the movies, and he's driving friends. What's your advice? Well, uh, the insurance follows the car, and as long as the driver has the permission of the insured to drive the car, uh, that, that insurance is in full force and effect. Um, and uh, you've, you've got to be very careful these days uh, for parents uh, to, to you know, give your kids your car. You have to realize uh, you're going to be responsible ultimately, or your insurance company is, if, if the child gets in an accident. And I've had a very high percentage of accident cases I've handled in the past were teenage drivers. And I used to always tell clients, well, you know what, it's not a question of if they're going to have an accident it's a question of when. Uh, but I have to say the trend is I'm seeing less and less teenage accidents, which is good. And I give credit uh, to the legislature, which tightened the rules. You know, kids can't drive after a certain time now. Mm-hmm. There's curfew. Uh, kids can't drive with more than, uh, I forget if it's one or two other kids of their age in the car, which was good. Because if you have uh, five, six kids piled into a car, that was a very distracting environment and would would often lead to uh, an accident. So uh, there have also been changes in terms of the amount of hours of driver's ed that are required and actual time behind the wheel. And I think that's done probably more to improve the safety on our roads uh, than anything else. So those are good things. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, again, if you have any questions as a parent as far as your liability or exposure, your yeah, going out of the country on vacation and leaving a sitter or someone to watch the house, and you're worried about things. You know, call a lawyer and ask. Um, there are, you know, I've never, 
you know, I've worked with how many different attorneys over the last 10 years since I've been out of law school, and I've never heard someone say or someone angry that uh, someone called with a general question of what do I need to do to cover. You know, there's one thing where people are calling to ask for free legal advice to go then handle a matter themselves, you know, and people get annoyed by that. But um, if it's a general, realistic, legitimate question on protecting yourself, call a lawyer. And as we have Fred on the phone, Fred, tell people how they can get a hold of you before we say goodbye. Okay, thank you, Nick. Uh, as you mentioned, I office in, in Naperville. Uh, my phone number for future reference is area code 630-922-5858, or uh, I'm, I'm available by email. Uh, my last name is Spitzeri at AOL.com. That's S-P-I-T-Z-E-R-I at AOL.com. Uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions anyone might have. Uh, and offer a free consultation at any time. That's what we're here for. This is what we do. All right, Fred. Thank you so much for your time today and being on our show. Thank you for having me, Nick. I enjoyed it. Take care. All right. Take care. I'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. I want to also thank all of our uh, listeners out there for tuning into this episode of Law Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe PR Marketing and with support from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to entertain and bring our legal industry, professionals, consumers, and and guests the tips and tools and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. This is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you for your time.